Welcome to Wholeness and Holiness Podcast. Here we will deepen your understanding of human and spiritual integration so you can live the life of peace and fulfillment God has for you. I'm your host, Margaret Vasquez. I hold a degree in theology and am a licensed professional clinical counselor and certified trauma therapist. Join me weekly for practical applications of the spiritual life. No part of this audio is to be used as mental health treatment or clinical advice. Please see a licensed mental health professional for personal consultation. Hi, and welcome to Wholeness and Holiness Podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Vasquez, and just want to remind you how to get in touch with me, how to connect for services, information, all sorts of things. Um, the website is sacredhearthealingministries.com. Um, check it out for trauma therapy, for human and spiritual integration workshops and in person, for your community, for your parish diocese, or online, um, parish healing missions and retreats, and the books More Than Words, The Freedom to Thrive After Trauma, or Fearless Abundant Life Through Infinite Love. And I'm super excited to share with you today this interview. I'm getting a chance to talk with one of my Franciscan brothers, Father Jonathan McElhone. And Father Jonathan and I were actually students together for once upon a time um, at Franciscan University. And now Father Jonathan McElhone, um, he's a Franciscan TOR friar of the province of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. He's serving his community as the director of vocations. And before responding to a call with the Franciscans, Father Jonathan worked as an industrial electrician at programming robots. <laughs> that's, wow, that's amazing. Way above my pay grade. Um, it was ordained in 2012 and ministered as a parochial vicar at a parish in Texas and served at his alma mater, Franciscan, as the director of the priestly discernment program there. And he loves being a priest and ministering the sacraments. I can attest to that. He's an enthusiastic friar. He has a passion for sharing the gospel and never tires of witnessing miracles. Father Jonathan, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Margaret. It's a joy to be able to join you and really excited about all the good things the Lord is doing these days through both of our ministries. So thank you. He is good and faithful, isn't he? Absolutely. It's amazing. I'm just going to get you. You had that brief intro, but I want you to just share a little more about um, maybe some of your own vocation journey since your vocation director. That's of particular interest for our conversation today. So. Sure. Um, so a bit about my journey. I grew up in Ontario, Canada, in the middle of three children and grew up in an agricultural uh, background, uh, worked a lot on my father's farm uh, and uh, graduated high school like most people do. Uh, we actually had 13 grades in Ontario. There's a fifth year of high school that was oh, well. required before you would you make me wonder what it. I missed. <laughs> uh, probably didn't miss too much because they don't have it anymore. They've gotten uh, away okay. with it. 13th grade, uh, but I did 13 grades and then went on to a community college about three hours away from where I grew up. Um, if you can imagine on a map, I grew up kind of between Buffalo and Detroit, oh. just off the shore of Lake Erie, and I went to college um, northeast of Toronto. And so I was about an hour and a half southwest of Toronto and college an hour and a half northeast. 
um, studied robotics there for three years and um, yeah, just a great time. Um, continuing to really grow in my own faith, um, was always going to uh, weekly mass and helped out with a youth group at a parish up there kind of thing. Um, after college, I turned around and spent two years working with Net Ministries, national evangelization teams based out of Minneapolis. Uh, when I first applied to them, I didn't even know that there was a Net Ministries Canada. So God's uh-huh. providence, I ended up in the U.S. and uh, for two years did retreat ministry for middle school and high school students traveling throughout the U.S. And um, probably the place where I fell in love with witnessing miracles, just seeing the Lord transform so many hearts um, in the midst of giving a whether our little personal testimonies or a talk or small group and praying with young people, as well as with my own teammates and just two really fabulous years of my own life and very formative, both for my faith and who I am as a person. That's amazing. You know, I always forget that you were with Net, but I'm glad we stole you from Canada by way of that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks. I'm not sure if Canada is happy to have been <laughs> stolen from them. But uh, after my time with NET, I ended up working, as you mentioned, as an industrial electrician in the automotive sector, um, doing electrical maintenance, uh, programming robots. Uh, we made stampings for Toyota, Honda, uh, stuff like that, and enjoyed it. Really uh, appreciated the challenge of trying to figure out why is this machine not working? What's stopping it? And uh, I think I've I think very logically and kind of that process mentality and enjoyed it. And yet in the, during that time, the Lord started dropping hints to me that it's like, well, this isn't probably what you're supposed to do the rest of your life. Uh, I was at singing in a choir, helping out with a couple of different youth groups. And uh, I guess two signs that the Lord shared with me. One is I started to get almost like carpal tunnel in my wrist from trying to tighten little screws in the big electrical panels constantly. And then the other thing was, oh, it would have been like September 2001. I was helping out with the Life Teen Parish. And after everything would finish Sunday night from Mass and Youth Group, I'd go back in the church and kind of sit between the altar and the tabernacle. Lights would be off. It'd just be Jesus and I in that red sanctuary lamp. And during that one time, I heard the Lord say very clearly, it's like, Jonathan, you're in a good place. I'm proud of you. A year from now, you're going to be somewhere different. And I was familiar with hearing the Lord's voice, um, but this one was different in the sense that I had a real peace about it. Um, I was looking at buying my own house. All my debts were paid off. Car was paid off, all that stuff. And uh, the Lord said, you're going to be somewhere different. It's like, okay, what's that mean? And uh, so I went and did a come and see visit with the diocese because priesthood had been something uh, that I had had in kind of the back of my mind from time to time. I was very involved at church and serving or lecturing in different capacities. Um, and I went to uh, the diocese and come and see and had no peace whatsoever. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the, bad. There just wasn't that peace. It where didn't were you feel located like then? Where were you living? I was living in Ontario. You were in Ontario. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And so I uh, went there and, okay, well, what else then, Lord? And there was a religious community that some friends of mine were aware of. And they said, well, Jonathan, you should go look at this play community. And so I went to look at them and the Lord said, this isn't home, at least not yet. It's like, oh, 
<laughs> not helping me out a whole lot. Right, right, right. Um, so I did what anyone would do, right? I used my logic and it's like, well, then I guess I applied to my diocese. Um, and even though I called and multiple times, I struggled to get an application form. And during that time, some friends of mine said, handed me an application to Franciscan University. It's like, would you fill it out? See what happens. Wow. And so I filled it out thinking, I have no way I can go study in the United States. It's like double or triple the cost of what mm-hmm. it would cost me in Ontario. Um, but I filled it out, was accepted to the university, accepted to the discernment program. And the director at the time offered me a scholarship that offset the exchange rate. It's like, okay, great. A pretty substantial contribution. And so I went to Franciscan and immediately it's like, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is home. Mm. In fact, I heard the Lord say, you don't know where you're going. Don't worry about it. This was my first night at the university. I think I was in the port at the time. And uh, he said, it's like, you'll learn, you'll know when, or you'll find out when you need to know, just learn to trust. Wow. So the port for, for people who are not familiar with Franciscan University's little adoration chapel, that's the replica of the Portiancula that St. Francis restored um, and it's very near and dear to the hearts of all of those re- connected with the university. So, absolutely, very sacred place on mm. campus, to say the least. Holy ground. Uh, and so, during my uh, years at Franciscan, got involved in different things, festivals of praise, and mission trips. And uh, my last year, I ended up uh, meeting another friar who was there. He was on his pastoral year. And so for the friars, before they make solemn vows or final vows, they have to minister full time for a year. And uh, his name happened to be Jonathan as well. So Father Jonathan St. Andre, shout out to him. Yes. And uh, it was through him that I started to actually, um, yeah, just consider, well, maybe the Franciscans are a possibility. I, for me, my stereotype of Franciscans, and maybe others have this, it's like they're men that live in the inner city, have big, long beards, you know, sleep <laughs> on a concrete floor, go door to door, begging for food. <laughs> wow. And none of that appealed to me. <laughs> it's just the reality. Um, our God knows what he's doing. And uh, so uh, that last year um, at Christmas time, diocese contacted me. I visited that first religious community as well as um, the Franciscan TORs and Afterwards, I'm praying. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, it's like, I want to do what you have for me. And the response I heard was, well, Jonathan, make a choice out of love for me and let me bless you. It's a greater act of love for you to choose out of love for me than for you to just be obedient to what I tell you to do and let me bless you. Wow. Wow. If there's anything in the midst of my own discernment experience um, that always stands out, it's just like, the freedom of the invitation from the Lord. And that ultimately, if our heart's set on God, I don't think we can go wrong. And uh, so I made a choice, obviously, for the friars, the TOR friars, and uh, kind of put my application in, uh, was accepted. And uh, then I had some immigration troubles. (laughs) And, you know, every vocation gets tested in different ways. yeah, yeah. And so after being with the community for almost seven months, I had to leave and went back to Canada. Oh, wow. As as I say, I was exiled back to Canada, um, out of visa status. Oh, wow. And uh, 
miraculously the Lord worked out to be able to get some paperwork resolved. And um, maybe because hundreds of people were praying for that immigration officer that I was meeting with, but <laughs> received a, the right visa that I needed to stay with the community and then came back and uh, entered into novitiate, which is our second year. And uh, after novitiate professed vows on July 7th, 2007, you're quick with math. You realize that's oh seven oh seven oh seven. Oh, and that's so, oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, the Lord's got a great sense of humor, and so uh, yeah, professed first vows then, and then was ordained and uh, to the priesthood on my father's birthday in November third of twenty twelve, and uh, so happy, yeah, very, happy belated anniversary. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I celebrated eight, uh, eleven years last week, so it was just a. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Not every day is easy, but yeah, just absolutely uh, life-giving to be a priest and to say yes to the Lord in whatever ministry I'm asked to be a part of and to participate in. I I love how you talk about, um, you know, what the Lord told you about make a choice out of love. And so goes with the feast of today. Today for non-Franciscans, in case you don't know, is... Um, blessed John Duns Scotus, who's a renowned Franciscan philosopher and the first one to define the Immaculate Conception, but also um, he had this this basic philosophy that even if man had never sinned, Jesus still would have become incarnate. And I just so much love that. It's just the primacy of love and somehow Jesus isn't God's divine mop-up plan that he's the image of the invisible God and came to reveal the Father's heart to us. And so it's just such a a focus in his philosophy on love and the will and responding in love. So just just, as you were sharing about that, I was thinking, what, what a freedom, right? Instead of trying to, I think, for a lot of people, that vocation journey can be trying to, you know, mind read what does God want and, you know, that kind of thing. But just the the focus on love is just so beautiful. Yeah, I think uh, St. Augustine said, uh, you know, love God and do what you will. Maybe right. that's a simpler version of what the Lord revealed to me. But it's like if your heart's set on God, uh, if everything you're trying to do is for love of him, I don't think you can go wrong, especially mm-hmm. within your own vocation. Um, yeah, if we're trying to give glory to God through what we do, yeah, there's no fault in that. Like the um, that prayer from Merton that says, "The desire to please you." I believe the desire to please you itself pleases you. Right. Absolutely. So, you, so you're doing vocation work now. So, um, so I, I, I bet you you have a lot of thoughts, and does it lead you to reflect on your own vocation? Um, it has been good. So I'm new at being a vocations director. Uh, I think I've spent maybe two, two and a half months uh, in this role now and uh, trying to figure out uh, what I'm doing and how to do it. Uh, apparently, no one has ever written a playbook for religious <laughs> to be vocation directors. And so it's uh, kind of uh, navigating how to do things, who to contact and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it has caused me to reflect and obviously an opportunity to share my own story with some of the men who I'm journeying with. And that's really how I see my role as someone to accompany and journey alongside a person. I told someone the other day, uh, my vocation director says, well, you have to fill in the blank. It's like right. run and run yeah. fast and run far. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's really, oh. I, I think, you know, 
the Holy Spirit's really the formator and the vocation director and all of those things, right? If we if we let him do his job, it works out a lot better, you know? Yeah, and even that statement, the Holy Spirit's really the formator, um, I think that's been very true in my own life. Um, growing up and even in the conversion experience that I had, um, I didn't really have anyone to teach me much of my faith. Mm-hmm. And yet the Holy Spirit, much like I think St. Paul experienced, it's like the Holy Spirit taught him what to do and spoke to him. And I won't say that I'm the world's best person at listening to the Holy Spirit, but I can honestly attest that there's been a lot of times the Lord has taught me things and I don't know where that's coming from other than by the grace of God. So unlike uh, Dun Scotus, I am not an intellectual. I'm not a scholar. I'm just like this farm boy that loves practical spirituality <laughs> and tries to live the best in serving the Lord that I can. Yeah, I, I can relate to that, though, in my own field. You know, it, the, the Lord will teach you. you. You need to know. I always resonate with that scripture where it says Jesus rejoiced and, and said, um, you know, what you've hidden from the Lord says to the father, what you've hidden from the Lord and advise you to reveal to the merest children. And I think, yep, I'm right. I'm right in there with the little kids, you know, <laughs> like, amen. There's beautiful, uh, beautiful grace in being able to trust surrender um, to the Lord as little children, really to be dependent upon him. Amen. So how, how do you see, you know, my kind of, my angle, I'm always looking at human and spiritual integration. And that comes from my own, you know, undergrad degree in theology and then time in formation um, with Franciscan sisters, um, obviously leaving before vows. But, and then so that kind of put me with a spiritual view of the person and ministry in the world. And then now I'm focusing so much on the human person in a particular way with. Um, you know, my focus in counseling, but so over the years have just really become passionate about the two and how interwoven they are. And, um, and I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are on the lack of human and spiritual integration. Um, do you, do you think there's a lack of it? And if so, how do you see that? Uh, sadly, yes, I think there's a real, a grave lack of human and spiritual integration today. Uh, and I think I see it from many different ways. Uh, it's almost like at times when we see someone have a conversion experience or an encounter with the Lord, and there's this beautiful zeal that accompanies that, um, but that sometimes in the midst of that zeal, they kind of like check out, you know, common sense, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and while they want to love the Lord, it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm trying to instill the gospel in someone by hitting them over the head with the book of or with the scriptures sure. is probably not the most effective way to evangelize a person. And I think we I've seen that at times where people kind of end up spiritualizing everything. And it's just like, no, you really don't need to over spiritualize things at times. Um, I think I've seen a lack of integration in the sense that so many people give in to fear. Uh, fear of what others think, fear of what might happen if someone finds out that I love Jesus, you know, and so they end up hiding their faith and it almost makes for a type of duplicity. Uh, Maybe maybe not a sinful duplicity, but there's kind of this duplicity that's like, okay, I have my attitude perspective and I'm all holy and, 
pious when I'm at church. Uh, but then when I step out of those doors or when I'm at work or at school, um, it's almost like they're a different person altogether. And, um, you know, we can see kind of within that a struggle to want to love the Lord and yet kind of how worldly desires um, mm. perhaps sometimes supersede that love for the Lord. Um, I think another component within the lack of integration really focuses on our identity as an individual. And mm -hmm. I can even speak from my own sense if I'm concerned about what other people think about me or if I say something or am I giving a homily and if I say something that someone takes maybe the wrong way because of either their own um, brokenness or it hits a wound in them, mm -hmm. you know, then am I going to be fearful that, oh, someone's going to post that and try and cancel me because of I've spoke the truth. Um, and I try to speak it in compassion, but we all know that people don't always hear things the way that we intend sure. to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so like this fear of sound bites, so mm. to speak. Yeah. Um, and kind of like, well, then if we take that beyond our lived experience, and now I've seen sometimes where people will kind of put that towards the Lord as well. So there's this little soundbite. Well, God's only going to focus on this one thing that I said bad mm -hmm. and forget, you know, all the good that the Lord recognizes and does through us. And so I'm kind of bringing together mm -hmm. that integration of the human, how we see ourselves, how we respond in situations with our relationship of the Lord um, I think is absolutely essential for yeah. anyone, not just for those trying to discern a religious or church vocation. Amen. Amen. You know, I think it's interesting, especially how you were in the beginning, you're talking about like that we as Christians can tend to over-spiritualize it. In a lot of ways, it's kind of the same way we tend to fault the secular society for over-humanizing, right? And so we kind of the splinter in our own eyes, right, sort of thing, because it's only really when they're interwoven, which is it is funny because, you know, whenever I do these um, human and spiritual integration workshops, I always start off by saying it, it's really ridiculous to me that you have to say human and spiritual integration because as humans we are spiritual, right? <laughs> We're the ones who create this artificial delineation, you know. But yeah, that it really requires both together in order to put skin on the the spiritual. Right. I completely agree with you. Um, another way someone was sharing with me, it's like, and I've seen this absolutely, is that people, uh, there's a confusion between our vocation and our salvation. And what I mean by that is like, vocation is tied to our mission. It's the way that we live mm -hmm. out, right? But salvation is connected to how I receive God's love and mercy in my life. And that um, there's a segregation between the two in the sense that if I make a fault at all in my mission, then my salvation is lost. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a lot of pressure. It's a, it's a huge pressure. <laughs> and I've seen it especially um, in discernment where people say, well, I got to do what God wants me to do. And if I don't do what he wants, if I don't follow through on God's perfect plan for me, then it's almost like the default is, well, then I'm going to be like doomed to hell and unhappy the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not the truth. 
um, I actually like to think of kind of our discernment, uh, kind of like being on an interstate. You come to the Cloverleaf intersections, like if you get off on the wrong one, you might go down some other <laughs> highway for a while. <laughs> But there's a way of getting back onto the recalculating, main recalculating <laughs> the GPS, right? God's right. Uh, positioning system. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think in a lot of ways, what you're talking about can it can become insidious. It can, it can seem like I'm really wanting to um, to focus on what God wants, but when it, there's such a pressure on me figuring out what that is and just perfectly in a lot of ways it can, it can actually become, I'm in charge of things, not God. Right. And so suddenly I'm God instead of him. And, um, yeah, we uh, end up breaking that first commandment, right? right? Putting right. ourselves in charge of everything. Yeah, He uh, does a way better job. <laughs> He's much better as a pilot than a co-pilot. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a co-pilot, the pilot. <laughs> right. Right. You no, know, one of the ways that I think, um, begins to help bring that unity back together is really, um, at least from a discernment and vocational standpoint, mm -hmm. um, is breaking away from thinking about everything. <laughs> um, that, and this has been my experience of working with people, both when I was in the priestly discernment program and working with the young men there. Um, and even now as my role, it's like that we can sometimes like discernment is thinking. It's like trying to gather as much information as we can and then somehow we're going to put it through a mathematical equation mm. and out pops the answer um, where that's a part of discernment. Um, but where the, where the integration piece comes is when we stop using only our head and we start using our heart mm. and for that, to, for us to be able to use our heart. And it's not just based off of feelings. Um, not, not that you, you fork feeling right. like you go out on a first date and it's like, okay, this is the person I'm going to marry, right. right? You don't know anything about them yet. You know, so we need our mind and the logic to check our hearts. It's like, okay, is what I'm feeling here appropriate for the situation? But we actually need our heart to be able to tell our mind to give us that information. It's like, does this fit with me? Well, is nice. this something that's life giving for me? And the way that I believe our heart discerns is actually through experience um, that we need to do things. So I tell young men, it's like, hey, I'll ask them, have you been an altar server at mass? And it's like, well, no, well, that might be something you should talk to your parish priest about, you know, get some experience of mm -hmm. serving at an altar, even as an older person in your twenties, mm -hmm. you know, it does this. And then, then you begin to acquire the material to really uh, discern with your heart, your mind comes in after that. Sure, sure. That And that's so fascinating. So for our listeners, Father Jonathan started off by confessing that he's a practical, logical thinker, and yet he's telling you to get in touch with your heart, that that's important too. So um, it there there must be something to that. It's part of the process, right? Um, I just, I love that. We can't just kind of sit on a, on a rock and just expect for it to be revealed. We actually need to come and see, you know, kind of get, get our feet wet, get engaged. And right. Yeah. If we're sitting on a fence, the field is always going to look green because mm. we're looking at it across it. Mm. It's not till you actually walk out into it and you can say, Oh yeah, it is really green or, Oh, there's bare spots here. There's yeah. 
parts of the crop missing or parts of the grass are dried up. Um, but you don't see that when we're looking across it per se. Um, yeah, that's that's really good. One of the things I didn't, sh I missed in my own little story. Sure. There was one community that I visited uh, early on in my time at Franciscan. And I was like really excited to go visit them. It's like, yeah, I love their ministry. I love their apostolate. You know, they seem like a great, talking to the vocations director, seemed like a great community. And so I took a few days off of work during the summer and drove 13 hours oh, wow. there. And within two hours, I realized I was in the wrong place. Wow. It's like, Lord, you duped me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because this all seemed perfect in my head. And it was like, no, the Lord was actually teaching me something about myself that yeah. I didn't realize. And in that situation, it's like he taught me and they're a good community. I would never say anything bad about them, mm -hmm. but they didn't have the joy that I didn't know that I was looking for. Wow. Wow. And again, it was through that experience that I discovered something about myself. That's important. That, which is essential. Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, at the time, I'd imagine if I were you, I would have been thinking, I just wasted 13 hours. But in truth, you saved how many years and years and years, right? <laughs> well, truth be told, it's like, you know, this cost me almost a thousand dollars this trip because I lost wages and then oh, I had to pay sure. for traveling and, you yeah. know, whatnot. Okay. Money is insignificant to the Lord. He takes care of it. Like I say, um, yeah. I literally graduated from, from Franciscan. And the Lord gave me a job where I was making a thousand dollars a week during the summertime wow. uh, to be able to pay for my studies. So yeah, when God's in charge, he works out all the details. Yeah. We just need to trust him and respond to his invitations. That's awesome. Um, any, any other thoughts on uh, human and spiritual integration, how that's necessary for living out one's vocation, especially living in religious communities like you do? you know, obviously living with, with other brothers or for some people, maybe it'd be sisters, you know? Sure. Um, and I, again, within religious community, as I think it's absolutely essential, uh, you know, to be completely integrated. Uh, one of my experiences, and I realized this early on as a priest, you know, loved ministering, uh, but if my spiritual life, like if I allowed myself to become too busy to the extent where I wasn't doing a holy hour each day. And for myself, basically, I have to do a holy hour before morning prayer. So it's got to be the first thing of the day. I'll get cleaned up, go to the chapel, spend it time mm -hmm. with the Lord. And if I'm not doing that wholeheartedly, maybe just going through the motions or it's like, oh, I don't have time today. Other things came up, hospital call, whatever. Um, and if I allowed that to fester for a few days, um, all of a sudden I could tell that my spirit wasn't as filled with God's grace. I wasn't as happy. Mm -hmm. Situations started becoming more of a labor instead mm -hmm. of a labor of love, as well as my relationships with the brothers, how I would respond to the other friars I was living with. Um, and yeah, it would all kind of begin to tank really fast. Yeah. And you can imagine how that could, I can imagine how that would just could um, kill morale if you have one person doing that, but then you have, you multiply that by however many are in community and um, that can make for some rough times, I'd imagine. I'm very blessed here at the house of studies where I live now. Um, there's eight of us in the house and just about everyone each day, we have a holy hour before morning prayer. It's not mandatory, optional. 
uh, everyone's required to spend time in prayer every day, obviously. Mm. That's that's awesome. But to see these brothers, like, yeah, I, we want to make this a beginning of our day before we dive into our studies is just to spend time with the Lord because uh, it's letting the Lord speak to us sure. that really opens our heart yeah. and connects our heart and our mind. Um, if we don't let the Lord speak to us, you know, I forget who it was, uh, Christophanic has this phrase saying, it's like, don't go into your head alone. It's a scary place, you know, yeah, so yeah. Letting, letting Jesus help us go into our, our minds and our hearts together yeah. um, is profoundly necessary. Yeah. Amen. And, and just because, you know, r- religious or are called to chastity, they're still called to intimacy. And if that intimacy need isn't being filled by the Lord, then um, I think things can can go sideways, even with the best of intentions, you know. They can go sideways or wonky really fast. Yeah. And and then it's just, it's a spiral downward. So absolutely the Mm -hmm. intimacy with the Lord um, is necessary, you know, before we can even have any healthy relationships, whether it's with our peers that I live with or with those who I minister to, um, if I don't have that intimacy with the Lord, then I'm going to look for that intimacy in some other way. That's part of our human condition. Our yeah. heart longs for that intimacy. Yeah. And um, yeah, we don't have to look too far into the news to find out what happens when Amen. the intimacy is misappropriated. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I don't think the vast happen. majority of people wake up in the morning and think, "What can I do to so completely scandalize everyone who knows me and really do damage to other people?" And then set out. You know, I think it's just letting things slide and slide and slide, and then it goes wonky, like you say. Um, there's a, a quote from um, Saint Catherine of Genoa that I really love. She says, "My deepest me is God," and to me, it's just really like how essential he is even to our our intimacy with ourself, our own personal integration, right? Because who our identity is is you know wrapped up in um, in who he is to us as father. You know, um, what are some of the the qualities or maybe aspects of some someone in particular, um, or maybe of their life? That, that you look for as vocation director when you're talking to candidates or, or people who are interested? Uh, you know, in some ways it's like, would this person make a good husband? Mm. Um, you know, because in many ways there's a lot of parallels between the vocation of marriage and religious life. You know, both require profound sacrifice. Both are demanding. Both require generosity, uh, you know, both require intimacy with the Lord if they're going to flourish. Sure. Um, so are those things there, but from a more practical standpoint, um, you know, is this a person of prayer? Do they really seek the Lord? Um, can they pray? Uh, I remember working with one uh, young man and um, he was a senior in college. And I asked him, well, we just open our time of prayer together. And I think he looked at me as if I had like six eyes or something. It's like, you want me to pray out loud? <laughs> and it's like, yes. <laughs> Just you know, talk to like, God. <laughs> it's okay. Like, you know, and, um, and I would never diminish the Our Father, but he ended up leading us within Our Father. Mm. Maybe it was because he was nervous, um, but it came to realize afterwards that the kind of organic type mm-hmm. of prayer that many of us are familiar with was completely foreign to him. And, um, 
his spirituality wasn't quite as integrated mm-hmm. as one would hope. Um, you know, does the individual participate in sacraments more than the minimum? So, you know, mm-hmm. they go into confession once a month or so. Are they trying to get to daily mass if they have the availability um, a couple of times a week? You know, it doesn't have to be every day. Maybe they can. Great. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I look to see, does the individual have a, a good understanding of themselves? Can they name what their strengths are? Can they name what their weaknesses are? Uh, are they kind of self-motivated to identify these weaknesses and then, okay, how can I acquire tools so that those I can leverage those weaknesses in my life in some capacity that's appropriate to them? Or do they just kind of think, well, yeah, I'm bad with time, so I'm always late for things, and they're just complacent with that. Mm. Um, so I'm looking for maturity within people. Um, do they know their gifts and talents as well? Uh, I very much uh, am of the mindset that the Lord gives us our gifts and talents um, so that we can flourish within those things. And he's not going to call someone into a religious vocation. Uh, that would be contradictory to all the gifts that he's given to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, no different than if I'm speaking with someone and it's like, well, I just, I don't like talking with people at all. I want to be by myself, you know, 24 seconds. Like, <laughs> right, oh. right. I can almost assure you, you're not called to the Franciscans. Yeah, community's not going to be your happy place. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? Maybe a monastic community, maybe not, but you know, uh, yeah, sure. Are Carthusians or something of that sort, perhaps. Right. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Aromatical life might be better fit. Right? Perhaps, you know. Maybe there's something else there too. I don't know. Sure, sure. But I also look to see uh, what has been the person's involvement in church. Have they, you know, been involved in ministries, or have they done a mission trip or something of that sort? Mm-hmm. Um, again, just to give them, you know, if they've had that experience, then it gives them some material. What was your heart like? And I'll ask that question a lot. What was your heart like when you were on that mission trip, mm-hmm. or when you were serving at the soup kitchen? What was it like for you to, you know, interact with those who are homeless? Mm. Uh, you know, St. Francis was repulsed early on. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He, he detested those who were homeless or the lepers. Mm-hmm. Um, and God's grace changed his heart to where he would embrace them and love them, you know, desire to be with them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking for a heart that's generous like that, that wants to be with God's people, that wants to give of themselves. Uh, religious life is not an easy life. You're aware of that. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not that people need to be perfect by no stretch. If you told me that you were perfect, I would say then you probably don't know yourself very well. <laughs> right. uh, but are you willing to be able to grow on that? And especially with the Franciscan TORs, our charism of ongoing conversion, it's like to be able to humble ourselves to recognize our faults and yet not to be afraid to let the light of Christ shine on them so that he can transform them um, and that we can become more into the image of Christ who was himself obviously very perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's um, just kind of one of the aspects of human and spiritual integration that I often talk about is knowing our value and that our value is inherent and that we don't, we don't have to, nor could we earn it by looks, money, status, performance, productivity, prestige, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's 
that's so necessary just in order to have that openness with ourselves and the authenticity to be able to reflect on what are, what are the areas that I have for for healing and for conversion and for, for more growth and um, or else we can we can be kind of freaked out by our our own weaknesses and they just become that much bigger of a, a blind spot right and right and, and if we end up trying to hide our weaknesses it's like oh well, i don't want to tell father jonathan whichever um, then those secrets in that almost like that black box or that if you think of like an airplane analogy that mm-hmm. flight recorder um, if we keep those secrets in there that becomes a really heavy weight yeah that ends up really um disintegrating us from being able to live and flourish as an individual. And it's not that we need to proclaim all of our faults to everyone, but to be honest with them and be able to be honest with them with the formator um, or with our superior, if we're religious life or with your spouse, you know, if you're hiding things from your spouse, it's not going to help you in your relationship, intimacy, or even your day-to-day interactions with each other. and so, yeah, being able to identify those things. Last thing I would uh, say is just um, yeah, getting to know yourself. It sounds hokey at times, but maybe doing like a personality uh, sure. assessment or a spiritual gifts assessment. And it's like, these are just tools that we use to kind of come to greater awareness and say, like, oh, I never realized that. Maybe I do have name the gift that, you know, mm-hmm. hospitality is a gift of mine. It's mm-hmm. like, great. Let's find a ministry where I can use this and see, does this help me to flourish? Yes. Great. I'm learning things about myself. That's all part of the discernment. That's great. I love it. That's, that's great. Um, any recommendations, human or spiritual for, um, for people to be prepared to live out a religious vocation, particularly? Recommendations. Uh, that's Certainly prayer. Question. You were talking about prayer and self-knowledge, right? So those are... Prayer, self-knowledge, um, you know, of it, having a spiritual director that you can be honest with mm-hmm. and kind of inviting them into that really sacred place of your heart, especially where there's kind of the, any emptiness or brokenness and uh, allowing them to help you identify how is Jesus working in those areas, I think is really important. Uh there's there's something I'll bring up if it's okay. You and I had shared a walk recently around campus at Franciscan, and and there was something that you mentioned that um, just to if if you're gaming all the time, get out of the basement and go go form some healthy relationships, right? So that's that's just on a very human, but as well as spiritual, right? Because we're the Lord calls us into relationships. So. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. But yes, you know, disconnecting from uh, screen time, sure. if you want to call it that way, yeah. um, and uh, developing healthy uh, relationships. When a director of the discernment program at Franciscan is like, there was a no video game policy. Mm. And it was probably one of the things that many of the guys like, ah, oh, it's like, really? It's like, I like video games. It's like, ah, but if... God's inviting you to consider the priesthood and he's inviting you into authentic relationships and the danger. And I think maybe COVID even exasperated this more. So it's like that we're isolated and we don't know how to interact with people or we're awkward around others. Like, what do I say? It's like, they might have to respond like 
in the moment instead of waiting for that text response or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And it's like, but those are good things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, having some good, healthy, close friendships, you don't have to be, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Popularity at all, but just having some people that they know your heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So if, um, if we have some men from for listening to this podcast who um, are interested in discerning vocation, particularly to Franciscan TOR friars of the province of the most sacred heart of Jesus, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, the easiest way to get in touch with me is actually to go to the website for the community. So it's franciscans, tor.org. So F R A N C I S C A N S tor.org. Um, on there, you'll see a, a tab that says vocations contact. And it's just a sh- simple Google form that gives me a little bit of information about you. And I will reach out to you. My goal is to reach out within 24 hours of most people, oh, either wow. via email or a text and to get, get back in touch with them. Um, related to that, as far as the Franciscans, um, who would be a good candidate? Typically, men between the ages of 20 and 40 are those that um, were open to offering an application. Definitely prefer someone to have an undergraduate degree first or some mm-hmm. good life experiences. Um, if they're younger than that, they can obviously reach out to me. Of course, if there's, I know there's women that listen to this that podcast. Sure. And so if you know some young men who you think may have a <laughs> call towards the priesthood, um, and this becomes important because d- we never discern by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the Lord speaks to us through other people and it's, it's an invitation. It's like, Hey, have yeah. you ever considered priesthood or religious life? Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, f- that was said to me about five or six different times by people that didn't know me. And it's like, wait a minute, I need to pay attention to this. Wow. And we, we ask God to speak to us. Sometimes <laughs> he speaks to us through other people and we just don't realize it. So yeah. it's like, um, sometimes maybe you'll be the instrument for that that person to recognize God's invitation to consider religious life. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's not for for listeners, the Franciscan TOR's um, province of the most sacred heart, are not only priests, but also religious brothers as well. So yeah, we are a community of priests and brothers, a unique community within the Franciscan family. Uh, makes us special, but it's a good thing. And, well, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm partial. <laughs> I'm partial. Too. I just tell people I'm biased. I'm, I'll accept that. I'm biased. I think we're an incredible community. It has two universities as well as a parish and parochial ministry um, and a number of evangelization ministries as well. So it's just uh, yeah. the diversity was attractive to me. Yeah. And yet the faithfulness to the church, to the sacraments, and the rootedness uh, through St. Francis has all been a gift in my own vocation. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed over the many decades of relating to friars, m- many have passed away, many who are still there, um, is that it's not cookie cutter. There's so many different flavors of <laughs> those cookies. <laughs> There's so many different sizes and shapes and gifts and personalities. And man, I love the diversity within the province. It's really beautiful. That kind of reminds me of like a chocolate chunk cookie, right? Because no two chunks are identical. That's it. <laughs> so That's every it. cookie is unique. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a Russell Stover box of candy, you know. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute delight. It always is to be able to visit with you and just to be able to capture this for our listeners that it's just really cool. And it's very, I'm sure it's helpful to a lot of people. And um, so I just really thank you for your, for cutting out time in your busy schedule to be with us. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, I guess one thing I would say to listeners is know that I'm praying for you, um, especially any of those who are trying to figure out God's call upon their life. Um, ask the Lord to share with you desires of your heart. And then as he reveals them, ask him how he wants to fulfill those desires. Ultimately, our loving father desires to bless you abundantly. So thank you, Margaret. Amen. Thank you, Father. And we're going to put, I'm going to put um, the link to franciscanstor.org in the show notes. So if you're looking for that, check out the show notes. Father, can you, would you mind giving us your blessing? Sure. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Most high and glorious God, we rejoice that you call us to be integrated people of mind and heart, to be fully human, to thrive in your graces. We ask you to pour forth your blessing upon each person who's listening to this podcast. May they hear your voice, know your love in their hearts. Bless them beyond their understanding, beyond their expectation. The Lord's anointing and presence be upon you. He who is Father and Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. May the Lord give you peace. Thank you for joining me for today's show. Please subscribe and share and check us out on wholenessandholiness.com. Follow and like us on social media. And to learn more about Sacred Heart Healing Ministries, please go to sacredhearthealingministries.com.